everybody and welcome to another great MOPS session or series. Um, I have a great guest with us today. So we have Carissa from uh, Marketing Ops Manager of 2001. Carissa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hi, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm Carissa. I've been in Marketing Ops for, um, well, and Ops in general for a few years at this point. Um, and I just started a new role at Talon One as Marketing Operations Manager. And I'm really excited to geek out uh, with you today. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Carissa is a is a fan. We we worked together here at Medicudu, and uh, now you're coming on to the show, which is great to have you. So, actually, wanted to start um, kind of your journey into Talon One in the spirit of kind of change and kind of doing new things. So, where do you? I'll, I'll kind of start this. Where do you start when you join a new role, join a new project? Where do you kind of start? What's your kind of way of thinking about things from that perspective? Um, so basically how I kind of onboard myself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where do you onboard? Where do you start? Yeah. You know, for those uh, folks out there in our space listening, there are usually teams of one or, you know, as we know, as we both know in the ops profession, there's not usually a, a team or a A to B plan for yeah. us laid out. Um, so how do you deal with that? How do you tackle that? Yeah, so um, I guess like one of my first things is just kind of asking anybody who has admin access to the tech stack at the company. It's getting a feel for like what's existing and what's there. Um, even if I don't directly need access to something, if it's potentially integrated with another platform like related to me, I just kind of want to know how everything's connected. Um, I want to know everything that we're using, what everything's being used for. And then once I kind of get into all of those systems, the next thing that I'll do is really just start looking at the integrations in between platforms. Obviously, like the integration in between like your marketing automation platform, your CRM and your um, like support, like ticketing platforms are like the three biggest ones that I want to look at. Um, and it's really just getting an understanding of like I've got a good idea of all the standard properties that exist in a platform, but it's like, what are all the custom ones that have been created? What reports are they connected to? Like, do we use Looker? Do we use uh, Domo? Like, it, it's just getting an understanding of like, how is everybody getting the numbers that they need and where do all those pieces interconnect in the current tech stack? Um, so that's like kind of, I spend a couple of weeks probably doing that every time I kind of come into a new role and it's my form of like doing an audit. Um, and it, it's very, there's usually a lot of exporting into Excel happening just so I can, you know, put things in pivot tables and get a good idea of like kind of what's going on, but that's kind of what I do. <laughs> and can I kind of highlight a few points that you mentioned there? Why is it important for you to even conduct this audit? Like why? You know, let's say if I was first starting off early in my career, I remember the time where I really wanted to jump into things. Mm -hmm. I had this, you know, idyllic uh, thought in my brain of like, ah, I want to, I want to do things. I want to start into the how, how things are done. Why is it important to slow down and do that audit first? And kind of what you also mentioned indirectly is getting your hands dirty a little bit of like understanding the data processing side of it. Like, why is that? Why is that such a fundamental piece before you get into doing things that are actually making significant changes. Yeah. So, I mean, like the big, big things um, in ops is like people process and technology and like the technology is kind of the first thing that I really want to see. Um, but usually that leads to the next thing, which is process. Like I like as an as an ops professional, I have like, of course, like a 
certain way that I want to like go about doing things and like solving problems, but I can't actually make a real recommend. I'm not just going to go in and like make a recommendation blind. Right. And just say like, this is how I've done it like five other times. Like, I don't think I've ever recommended the same solution twice because every org, every situation is so different. So like getting a good understanding of like, how are things being done first um before you just go in and say we're gonna change everything like i'll never do that <laughs> i will never just go in and like kind of turn things upside down and try to change everything because everything is functioning and working like i know that's like that's an assumption but you know it's not burnt down right like things are working get a good understanding of like how they're working and then like make your plans on like how to progress like how to optimize how to build on that so it's just really important to understand how those people processes and technology are currently working because if you go in and just suggest something like completely left field you know one i don't think you're going to make the best impression with everybody around you and two you don't actually really know what's going on yet to know like if what you're suggesting is even the right thing gotcha and then how do you start to translate some of that um, almost mind mapping that you're doing with those processes and the technologies and how everything's kind of playing playing in and interconnected. How do you start translating that to other cross-functional teams? So there's this big notion, <coughs> excuse me, in the ops profession around, you know, how do you start to A, communicate the value of ops, but two, how to move into that more, you know, kind of holistic, strategic type of role. So on that journey to that strategic type of role, how do you communicate some of these processes? How do you communicate tech debt and gap analysis? How do you communicate things that make sense to other stakeholders other than maybe directly marketing or other folks that might be involved? Yeah, so I also do love to have like a lot of one-on-ones with different like stakeholders like throughout the company and asking the question of like, what's your biggest pain point and what are you trying to solve will give you just and leave it as a very like open-ended conversation don't do any like leading questions you'll get a lot of really good information as far as like what people are struggling to solve what they've already solved and like what the company needs as a whole to like move and like progress and grow and i think like the value of ops comes in whenever you find those pain points of like, okay, we really want to reach like this destination point, but we have to like kind of manually put all these pieces together. Like we don't know how to get to this point. Um, we don't know how to progress. And it's like, okay, well, this is where ops is like layered in, right? Like this is where we can help scale um, and like help figure out exactly what pieces are needed to help fill the gaps of like basically everybody has like a certain function that they do, especially like I think about a marketing team in general, like everybody has a certain function on a marketing team. Not everybody has the like ability to put all those pieces together. They're just trying to get like, they're trying to get their job done. So that's where someone coming in and helping put all the pieces together is really helpful too, um, to help reach like that final destination point, like that certain like that magic report that's going to help with like, figuring out where marketing spend needs to go, figuring out like what uh, content pieces are performing in top, middle, bottom of the funnel. Like that's, that's like, it's, it's data analytics mixed with like the processes and the systems put together that kind of gives you that, that good solution. Mm -hmm. And then when you have this kind of a forming of a good solution, naturally you start kind of like bucketing things into, you know, things I need to do immediately, things I need to do in kind of a medium and long term. Yeah. 
And then something that we talked about uh, in kind of the, the pre-session here was around how do you balance your time and project allocation in this type of framework of there's always going to be things to run the business, the maintenance side of it. There's things that you're going to are known projects you need to do net new, and then there's going to be things that are kind of unknowns. Talk a little bit more about how you see that relationship between kind of the known knowns, if you will, like the known projects you need to do versus the unknowns that kind of happen kind of ad hoc or sporadically? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this is a really good question. So there's whenever I do kind of like that initial audit um, and I have like these certain milestone projects that I think we need to put in play, usually those are created from like a mixture of what I see whenever I'm looking at everything and then a mixture of like what I'm being told as far as like what pain points are. So like those things kind of make up like those big milestone projects. So you want to obviously move those forward. You have to leave like a good like 20% of your time for like unplanned projects that come up. There are fires, you know, there are things like um, why did a lead not route correctly? Like I need you to like I have to go figure that out. Like if there's something wrong with lead routing, I need to go figure that out. If um, a report is broken, it's like, OK, like working with data analytics to make sure like someone didn't like get rid of an important report somewhere. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Like there, there is all the little fires that we have to put out along the way. Um, and then there's like taking, so making sure you have enough time to move your projects forward, unplan uh, like unplanned fires that come up that you have to address and then making time for ad hoc requests so that like your team and like other like teams who like need you to help they know that you're there for them and that you can help get things done for them whenever their team needs something to operate more efficiently. So it's not just like, I can't talk right now. I have like these projects I need to do. You, like we can't do that. We have to make time, like we have to split our time really appropriate. And it's sometimes it gets really out of hand managing fires, like, but it's just like, it's making the decision of like, is this directly impacting the business right now? Is this preventing us from doing our jobs? Is this preventing other people from doing their jobs? If so, like we need to like take it on now. If not, like maybe I can look at it next week and block off a little bit of time on Monday to like address it and figure out what the issue might be. So that's kind of how I split things up. Like it, mm -hmm. it, it's a good, you have to split up your percentage of time. And that's where like, when we were in the planning session, like talking about like how important project management is, it's like bucketing your time appropriately and planning like one to two weeks out, but always giving yourself that little cushion of um, if a big project comes up from leadership that you need to address right away or if, like those fires come up and stuff like that. Right. And it sounds like if I was to summarize that, it sounds like it's really important to have that planned time in your process for mm -hmm. the unknown, for mm -hmm. the fires, that, because the the expectation versus reality I've observed is that the expectation is that things are perfectly planned and that we're only doing the things that are like attached to revenue, the highest value things all the time, yeah. where there's it, admittedly a lot of in the reality, a lot of that maintenance work, a lot of things that just happen, right? External things, connectors break, etc. Yeah. That just put downward pressure where you have to account for the or kind of the reality of it. I like that. Um, how do you move to kind of a place of, you know, kind of ops excellence where you're maybe a team of one or a small team that's just forming out? How do you build that business case of how is ops valuable, right? Like uh, we, we talked before of like making this case to executives, your VP of marketing, your CMO, your CRO, whoever, you have a lot of 
potential constituents that you're talking to. How do you think about communicating the value of ops when perhaps your leadership or your leaders may have some exposure to it, know it's somewhat valuable in the best case, but don't have like the full, they aren't the ones, you know, boots on the ground, connecting the processes and the mind maps. How do you communicate some of the value? How do you think about that? Well, usually like when you're, when you're talking to leadership, they're already aware of the gaps that exist in the organization that's probably preventing them. And sometimes there are like some responsibilities that would fall on different like marketing department members or sales department members. And it's like, they actually shouldn't be falling on those people. It should be falling on an ops person to take control of like some of those things. But whenever an org is growing like that and ops is new, sometimes it's just like who actually should be working on this, but it's someone that has the ability to like pull the pieces together and not take away from someone. Like if, you know, if um, someone who is like, um, a performance marketing manager, for example, they are excellent with data. They have like amazing data analysis skills and they're so good at like lead attribution, but that can't be their entire job, right? Like my job is to step in and like partner with them for that because they, they don't need to be like their responsibility and their focus. Like having split focus is really difficult to like get things done, but that's where you kind of like sell the value of ops to leadership look um you know our performance marketing manager really needs to focus in on this um but i can help on the like the lead attribution side of things to help like bring to the table like where do we need to be um like i guess like seeing how things fall all the way down the funnel right like okay these paid um these paid leads turned some of them turned into close one opportunities some of them turned into closed loss let's unpack that let's reverse engineer it and let me give that information back to the performance marketing manager right so that's mm -hmm. where like it's selling the value because they don't even though they're completely capable of doing that data analysis they shouldn't be taking the time to be doing it they should be partnering with an ops team to get that information to like and, help make them move faster. Yeah, and in that spirit of moving faster, starting to be a subject matter expert in a lot more different, you know, attributes or kind of parts of the business, right? You you mentioned right the traditional top of funnel down to close one. There's quite a bit of pieces in between there. Yeah. How do you think about the kind of scaling responsibilities or scaling domains, if you will? of marketing ops. So specifically to me, it seems like there is a lot of things that are now being expected of an operations team that weren't, you know, five, even eight years ago, yeah. um, where, you know, it's not just managing MarTech tech, it's also managing sales tech and managing CS tech, right? Like we're, we're starting to get into this notion of perhaps what some folks call RevOps. But how do you think about the the many domains that you as an ops professional have to like think about or consider right you mentioned a few big ones data processing you know business translation communication kind of those soft skills and amongst other types of project management and other types of skills but to me it seems like the plate is getting even more and more full do you feel like that's like the case that there's more domains that an ops professional has to learn like since since you even started what's that change been yeah, I I had a different idea of what um, marketing ops was in my head and what sales ops was. And to me, like, I think I always look at things from like a, a rev ops focus because I can't not think about 
the other pieces, but I guess like sitting as a marketing ops manager, it's understanding where the, like where you hand it off to sales ops, like where they pick up, where you stop. Um, but I think all of us respectively that make up a RevOps team have to be thinking about the whole funnel the entire time. Otherwise it doesn't flow and it doesn't work. Um, so that that's where like, I think there's a, there's brain space, like the plate is massive and it's probably going to keep growing, but it's like, I'm always thinking about life cycle stage management and lead management, but it's like, at the same time, I know I need to hand it off where something becomes an opportunity, like a lead becomes an opportunity. And I do see it as being out of my hands. Then, then it belongs to sales ops, right. At that point. Um, but it's hard to let go of it in that way because <laughs> you want to see it all the way through, but I do think all of those things all encompassing, like they, they should live in our brains all the time, but it is just like knowing when, where the handoff happens, like, and where your responsibilities kind of end. Um, but it does come back around from a reporting perspective, right? So if like someone ends up churning, I need that churn reporting from CS ops because otherwise, like, I can't give that back to marketing. I can't tell them like, okay, like we can definitely trace this back to like specific paid spend campaigns, like different events that we did. And these folks, like, even though they sign with us, they do end up churning. That's still important information. I have to have that feedback loop. So I have to be thinking about it too. Gotcha. And as you're starting to think about each of those feedback loops, I mean, one of the main stakeholders or the main connection points I see between especially marketing ops and the rest of the, the company is really sales. So how do you see that relationship specifically with the sales department where perhaps I can extrapolate in my own experience that that sales feedback, that sales voice is arguably the most immediate feedback that's relevant to marketing where, you know, as you described that CS and that CS ops are mm -hmm. really important pieces to it, but they usually come after. So yep. how do you see that kind of like first step in that first relationship? You know, how do you think about the relationship between marketing and sales, but more broadly, like almost marketing ops as a, as a middle person to translate some of that feedback? Yeah. Uh, so it's, I think a good place to start. And I always love when I see this is like uh, feedback loop meetings. I think it's like a great, it's a great thing to have in between marketing and sales, but sometimes that can turn into like a, an order taking relationship um right like you know and it, it all always usually ends up being content related too so we can't just have like you know open floor like feedback meetings we need to have those but the data capture and like the feedback on things like and i know you'll know exactly what i'm talking about when i say this is like um like lead scoring feedback like have like capturing that specifically um do you have high competence in this lead do you have low competence in this lead is this score right is this score terrible like does this person fit the ideal customer profile um and it's it's capturing those in fields like in your crm and that being pushed back as like a reporting mechanism for marketing because that's the only thing that we can really take actionable like things on i mean like having anecdotal feedback is a great place to start because it makes us ask questions and then we dig and then we find like tangential, like, um, like tangible answers for those things, but it can't be the only thing that we have. So really capturing things in the CRM in terms of like lead quality um, is like one of the best places to actually make the connection in between sales and marketing. And it'll help you have a stronger like relationship, especially if you're utilizing something 
um, as like a notification system, you know, Slack is probably a super easy one that you can send um, notifications from Salesforce, from HubSpot, like, and just have those thrown into a channel and just know, like, immediately on the spot and then use those reports and like make, make changes, like actually use them. Mm -hmm. So incorporating feedback, having an agreed upon methodology. Mm -hmm. um, and then one kind of element I'll also add onto it is as you're making these changes, naturally, you know, people get promoted, people move around, that somewhat tribal knowledge of the systems and the processes like the context today sometimes gets lost either in translation or just lost in the move or the changing of a guard as I'll say. Yeah. How do you think about the, the importance of something like documentation in a process like this, whether it's documenting, you know, what your lead management system is, how your sales reps should be following up, whatever the element is or the component is, how do you think about documentation and all this? Because from what, what you just said, it, it sounds like to me that there's, a huge importance of like having these feedback loops, establishing them through the fields and through or mechanisms that's quantifiable as, mm -hmm. as, as it is anecdotal. But it also seems like there is, you know, if I was to take a step back and come into something that new, like come into, if I was to peek into different organizations, which mm -hmm. I do have that opportunity to partially do, I have noticed that that documentation piece is very difficult to instrument as a culture. And how do you think about that kind of relationship, that documentation as a culture? And it's like importance in this process and this chain of feedback and iteration. Yeah, so I mean, of course, documentation is super important. Whenever you're doing different iterations of something, we can just like go on lead scoring as like a, a good example of that. Like if you're building a lead scoring model from scratch um, based on like, you know, somebody's, their web activities, like their, um, like, you know, te technographic, firmographic, demographic attributes, those should be like at the very least in a Google sheet somewhere as you're building it. Just like save it, like download it as a PDF, like take a screenshot of it and put it in a Google. Like if, if documentation is hard for you as you're going, like just start taking screenshots of stuff. That's how I got to like a place where I was like, okay, I need to really pay attention to what I'm doing to be able to like walk myself back through something. But also what I think is super important whenever you're like progressing on something like lead scoring in particular is don't change like the live model. Keep the keep that model live, make a new one with your changes and then save the old one because then you have like basically that historical uh, catalog of what you previously did. And that way it always exists and it's always there. So like, what if this new model is like completely like trash and nobody likes it and it doesn't do well. Okay. Well, we'll turn the old model back on until we figure out kind of what's going on over here. That's why it's really important to like, it's almost like a workflow. Don't ever edit a live workflow, do yourself a favor and just clone it and start working on it after that. So, um, but I mean, as far as like documentation as you're like building something from scratch you know I mentioned to you before I really like using different tools like scribe that'll kind of move with me and like take screenshots of like what I'm doing as I'm going especially when I'm working on something that's integrations related that is like the best way to document like kind of how you did something because it's like it's capturing what you're doing in real time as you're clicking and like trying to figure it out um, and it'll be really long by the time it's over but at least you can retrace your steps and even help identify your own mistakes. And that's where the importance of documentation really comes in is like, just because we're ops professionals doesn't mean we're gonna do every, anything right the first time. 
we usually have to do a lot of trial and error to figure stuff out. Um, and then whenever you do get it right, wow, isn't it great that you've already captured the whole thing and you now have a step-by-step -step process of how to repeat it. Um, and and then, something that you mentioned, and I'll, I'll kind of add on to it, is like something that you mentioned is that this concept of in documentation of sometimes taking a second pass at your work and to kind of trigger this, this thought process in terms of like cloning a workflow, cloning a process and saving a trouble of borrowing almost from this engineering, you know, methodology of, okay, well, you have a staging or a dev environment, then you have a production environment, right? That's been around for quite some time, mm -hmm. right? So how do you think about that notion or elaborate a little bit more on this on this thought process of going back and taking a second pass at something when let's say you have a document already built you have something already like as a first draft that might be as a, a kind of zero in on a word that you said that, that might be a little bit heavy or long right how do you how do you shorten it down at least a little bit to a a very like succinct beat because to me you know any presentation i've ever done the first version of it is 20 slides before I get it down to five. Right. right. So how do you think about that? Yeah. So especially if I end up like um, something else that I'll do, you know, if you don't, if you're not a fan of like using like a, a software or something to keep up with what you're doing, especially when I was first learning how to use Zapier, I would write out the steps like physically, like on my note paper, um, like next to me um, so that, yeah, like I, I went through it and I did it again. I should really go try to build it again. And if I get stuck, like if something doesn't make sense along the way, like at least I do have something to reference. Um, I guess like the, the value in doing your work again is maybe spotting, like there's all these like, if, I mean, I feel like I live with if then statements, like in my head, 20, like, like 20 hours a day. So if I'm like, take, take a break from, from something, from building something. Go back to it, fresh brain, the next day. You've got all your instructions here on how you did it. It's a really complicated workflow and you wanna make sure that you get it right because say if it's like lead routing related or something, taking yourself through it again and having like documentation, even if it's just like, you know, scratch on a note paper of what your thoughts were when you were building it the first time, you do have the ability to maybe spot something that you miss. Like it could be something huge, it could be something small, um, but I guess just like, maybe it's a, an anxious related exercise of not thinking you might've done something correctly the first time around, but there's nothing wrong with like checking, checking your work and seeing, I, I've also rebuilt things probably like seven times just because I looked at it again. And I'm like, oh, this is a little overcomplicated. I could probably simplify this like a lot, but sometimes it just takes like having how you did it and how you thought about it the first time um on hand so that you can actually kind of take yourself through that again because sometimes we do overcomplicate things that are actually quite simple in the event of like over engineering sometimes uh so that's where that's where the value is for me personally not everybody thinks that way but that's kind of how i go through stuff like that yeah and i guess as someone going through a lot of the ops process mm -hmm. to me what i kind of coming back to an earlier point around communicating the value of ops and managing the things on your plate. It seemed like based on what you're talking about, that there was something that we don't explicitly talk about, or at least I don't hear talked about as much, is that there is so much understating or undervaluing of how long it actually takes to do something, right? Whenever we 
I get asked this all the time, or I, or I used to get asked this, like, how long does something take? Will it take a week? Will it take an hour? And what are your thoughts on this? Like, based on what you just said, right, of that there is to make something even the first version, right, where you can make it, perhaps make it more efficient later on. Yeah. You can iterate on it, and that's part of the process. But even to get to that first point sometimes takes a little bit more friction than you would expect. And that's, I, I say that's more the common case than it is the exception. It's mm -hmm. almost never that I've written something that's semi-efficient and just perfect as I intended it, as scope. So how do you think about the relationship between what's on your plate and then how do you communicate that into like a timeline? How do you set the right expectations where you say, hey, I have some unplanned time, mm -hmm. but knowing that things take a little bit longer than they should inevitably, how do you help your various stakeholders? How do you help other people who don't fully understand or who haven't done the same process understand like what they should expect? Yeah. I'll let you know when I figure that out. <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, I think I, I over, and maybe, maybe this is a common thing, but we overestimate our, we know, we know, we know how to do stuff. Like we're, I mean, we're good with systems. We're good with processes. We think about things differently than a lot of folks do like professionally, but sometimes we do overestimate our ability to solve a problem, like in a short amount of time. It's not that we can't solve it, but sometimes we just need a little bit more time. Like what you're saying. I think my go-to that I have to start doing for myself is making a like a, a Miro board, for example, of like everything that's involved, like almost like making a mind map, right? Like this is what we're starting with. This is like the set of data that we're starting with. This is the end point that we're trying to get to. Here's all the pieces that have to happen in between. Here's all the segmentation of data that has to happen in between. Um, here's all the systems involved in between. So it's like, I might not be able to give like a perfect timeline, but I will say, let me give you an update about this in a week and I'll tell you where I'm at. But it's sometimes, especially if it's an urgent ask, it is hard to express that when someone's like, I actually need this yesterday. Well, okay, well, we can't have it like yesterday, but how about I give you like this first phase of it by next Friday? Like, I know I can get like a certain component of it done and it's like, give me like seven days, right? So trying to put yourself on a weekly schedule and that's really like it's understanding how fast you work i think i work a little bit slowly like maybe i'm wrong but i've always thought i worked a little bit slowly on stuff because i'll kind of what we talked about before i'll do things like a handful of times to make sure i did it right or that i like it but um the benefit of mapping something out physically and then looking at it yourself try to like break those different pieces out into individual tasks or try to estimate like break things down as small as possible like even down to like i need to export this into excel and turn it into a pivot table okay how long will that take me surely we can estimate on a smaller level the little components that's why i do always say that like project management is so important because if you don't know how to break things out into those smaller tasks and really break out a project and be able to understand all the tiny components involved and try to put a time estimate on it you're going to fall short of expectations all the time that you've set for yourself not even for other people but just you're going to be disappointed in yourself because you set unrealistic expectations so i guess like my big 
uh, recommendation is mapping it out and then try to put it in some sort of like list checklist format and like as small a pieces as possible. Yeah, I, I really like that. I've started to, uh, it's funny you say like mirror and some of our other friends here um, in that <laughs> space. Yeah. I've started to, at least for my own process, to take an idea and as you said, map it out, but also like start to draw out the components of it. Yep. And I think this is a point that I will, I'll also like bring back to you to like add a little bit more color on. When doing this mapping out process, mm -hmm. what do you find is the most effective for different types of audiences? So there's the, there's the ops hat that I'll put on where among ops professional folks that like to tinker, kind of understand systems and analytics, a very detailed step inadvertently communicates how much time it takes. So if I say something is five steps, even if they're complicated versus 10 steps, most human beings associate the 10 steps with more complexity, i.e. more time. So even in just that simple exercise of just mapping it out mm -hmm. helps a lot, at least mm -hmm. what I've observed. However, a lot of the times I have observed with leadership or folks that are have less and less bandwidth for any one particular topic right yeah. i call this like meeting surfing yeah. um we, we all kind of do that in different topics where your brain has to switch to different parts of the business different challenges yeah how do you you know when your turn to give that update your turn to like speak to a certain process or something that was either done yesterday whenever I don't like that terminology um because people don't realize how how long things actually take or like you know how much time is actually needed like downtime um but like how do you how do you kind of communicate that or how do you you know take away specificity like how do you take around take away some of the specifics for different types of audiences like showing the same example i think the visual mind map concept helps but how do you like remove some of that complexity where some of the complexity perhaps isn't needed for every single person to get that like the just that you know it takes time and you're going to need a little bit more time than yesterday or an hour to do something yeah so i guess like um and this comes back to a comment you made earlier like whenever you create a presentation it's like a million slides at first and you have to figure out how to condense it down um whenever i am mapping something out I will put it in like a project management tool first. Um, I guess like once I've got my my list of things, um, I'll put it in a list format first, like so I can see it. Break that out by like those milestones and then ask yourself, like put those milestones into the map, right? Try to attach your timeline that you've approximated like in your like list of things and put that timeline up across the top and ask yourself, like, talk through this with almost no context except the problem that you're trying to solve. And that's how you set the stage for like talking through this. Do these milestones make sense? Are they too vague? Are they too deep? Um, like, do you need more milestones broken out like to make the whole picture make sense? I guess it's just like, give yourself like a vague picture of it that is as high level as possible and then try to go into it with the mindset of like, the only thing I know about this is like of the issue I'm trying to solve. Like, is this enough information? Is this too much? 
Um, because a lot, like, and I make that mistake all the time. I put too much, too many words in my mind maps because like, I, I, I almost like put a description of the milestone instead of the name of the milestone, <laughs> like, because like, I want to see it. It makes sense to me, but it really, if I could call something like, um, inbound revenue and I'm like, oh, the calculated, like, blah, 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 <laughs> like, no, it, they don't need to see all that. Right. Like not everybody needs to see that. Um, it just needs to be as clear and concise as possible. But I do think it's important to like make all the details first and then try to trim it down and make sure it makes sense without a whole lot of context, like without your brain attached to it, I guess is a good way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, I almost think about it as like the footnotes versus the story. Yep. If you focus too much time on the footnotes, then you get lost in the details yep. versus the, the story or the message or the, what are we trying to do here? What's the problem is usually the most important thing, right? If I think about from traditional book or character development as yeah. I do with business, right? Like, okay, there's a problem. There's like, you know, there's conflict. Yeah. There's like a resolution. There's like, you know, support or a hero comes in, right? Kind of like that hero's journey. Oh, funny enough, I think there's a lot of parallels to how you communicate in the business world from that point of view. There's a problem here's resources or things that we need to add on to it and here's how we solve it um and then if if i get into the, the footnotes well i mean that's sometimes longer the explanation of how we got here is longer than the problem yeah. itself or the solution oh i i swear the the worst thing to happen to me in a meeting is if someone's like oh how are you gonna do that i'm like actually like and i'll just go on the whole tangent like explain and I like I'll word vomit, like everything that's in my brain, like this is how I'm thinking of approaching it. But what I forget sometimes and sometimes uh, maybe other ops people feel the same way. Our brains are moving a lot faster than the words that are coming out of our mouth. And some, and so that means we jump around with what we're trying to say. And that's something that I have to work on all the time. But I am terrible like if someone if someone wants to know how i'm gonna build something i'm like oh my gosh of course i'll tell you i'll tell you everything and then they're like and i'm lost what are you talking about so it's like it, it's a it's a line that we have to like you know presentations are hard <laughs> they're so yeah hard. and I, I mean i i completely concur i uh, very much throughout my career i like to my default is moving a million miles an hour where like just as you described the the pieces, I think, the as operations professionals, we have so much context in our heads of, oh gosh, I, I know this and about this implication, and almost whenever anybody like opens the faucet, it's just a floodgate of, I'm gonna give you a crash course on Ops 101, and we're gonna talk about every little thing. Yeah, and it's fun to. I, I think it's it's exciting, and I think that's why the advent of communities and other places to share some of this you know, some of this thinking is really useful. So with that, I'll kind of transition this question to, how do you think about being intentional in your career or your professional growth around some of these things? Like when you're faced with either a new challenge at work professionally from a problem solving standpoint, or just more broadly for yourself and your own personal growth, how do you, how do you be intentional about either solving a problem or growing your you know, professional brand or your, your skills and your professional kind of career? Like, how do you think about that as you're going through, you know, your, your changes in your career? Yeah. If I'm like trying to solve a problem that I've like never encountered before, I want 
to figure out everything I possibly can about how, like figure out the components of it, right? Like what it's, you know, what obviously like what system, what object, like drill it down as much as possible, figure out everything about how it functions and see if I can figure out the answer in that. Like that's my, I'm really stubborn. So I want to figure stuff out myself, unfortunately. And then I wait too late to like ask for help sometimes, but I will throw a message like into some of those op, like those ops, like Slack communities that we have sometimes, like, you know, you go to the appropriate uh, platform channel, throw in your question, see what you get. Like, and it's really interesting to get like others, like seeing if other people have also encountered this issue. That's how I learned that like the, um, the campaign sync in between like HubSpot and Salesforce is like nearly impossible. And it's terrible just by like asking the question, like, how do I do this? And everyone's like, mm, it's bad. Like it's, it's tough. Like, you know, <laughs> it's difficult. So it's just stuff like that, that that's where you could save yourself a lot of time sometimes, but um, how I specifically do it is just like trying to figure out how the components work because sometimes the answer is just like in between the lines of functionality of how something works. Um, and then you can kind of make your own solution. And that's kind of how I think we progress and like we get our brains to work and to function and to retain more information and learn more about systems. So that's my, that's my take on that. Yeah. So it sounds like when approaching something new, it, it's almost coming back down to like the basics of breaking things down into there's some parts mm -hmm. and, you know, almost like, you know, puzzle pieces trying to untangle things it seems like you're trying to either put puzzle pieces together or kind of untangle or unpack certain concepts and try to see okay what can i best relate it to right it seems like i'll, I'll see if you share this observation or this opinion i've observed that there's a lot of folks that get stuck in the maintenance side of operations where their biggest priority is just to keep the business going like the lights on if you will how do you see that relationship between kind of maintenance and kind of unpacking almost innovation, like meaning moving and trying something different that's untested where admittedly there's a lot of upfront costs to learn and understand something, get your hands dirty, mm -hmm. as opposed to just doing the same things that worked yesterday, right? And ops professionals like that, those two axioms are always kind of in in conflict for me, right? The, the conflict of, I have lots of things I need to do today that I know of, like I have my checklist to go through every week, every month, every quarter. Whereas you have a lot of things that you could be doing. Mm -hmm. How do you see kind of that relationship and the benefit of like a mix or one or the other model? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard like push and pull against like just maintaining what exists and making sure it's functioning properly and then like graduating to something new or releasing a new version of something. Um, I think it comes back to like the split of time a little bit um, because usually whenever like I'm focusing on, you know, I kind of do my audit and I like find projects that I know I want to work on and it, it, it usually is creating a new version of something that already exists. It's optimizing something that exists. But what you don't want to get into the habit of is like your whole week went by and you realized you were trying to fix it. So that might, honestly, it's like paying attention to your time. If things are, things are feeling hectic for a few weeks, 
really pay attention to where you put a lot of your time. Because if you're putting so much time into maintaining something just to keep like the wheels on and like keep things going, that like refresh or that new version of it might be worth doing now versus later. Um, because like if maintenance takes up more than like a couple of hours a week, that's not maintenance. That's just almost manually doing it. Right. Like that's, it's not, it's not doing itself anymore. So, um, I guess it's just paying attention to time split really. Like what, how much are you able to work on new projects? How much are you working on maintaining projects? And sometimes that comes down to like, um, staffing as well. Like you need, you just need more hands on deck. You need more help. Um, uh, and having not like built a team from scratch. I don't know what the difference between the two is yet. I, I'm going to have to figure that out at some point in my career, like what the difference is between like, oh, we just need to burn it down and build something new, or maybe I just need another person. <laughs> like it does, it takes time and maturity to figure those things out and the difference between them. And I guess this bleeds into this concept of around optimization and mm -hmm. deciding when something is good enough to ship or get the first version out. So as operators, we're typically we have uh, two things that go against us, which is people pleasers and perfectionists. Mm -hmm. um, so we get very much in the details and a lot of folks want have this vision, right? Let's, let's say it's the best vision, an idyllic vision of where they want to go. Yep. But it withholds them from moving forward the business in any capacity, right? Like a, as you know, and as others have observed, a 1% change, all things being equal, could actually be a huge change in revenue, right? Yeah. Like that's how it kind of it amplifies. How do you think about that concept of like, when is good enough, good enough, right? Like when, when should you launch the first version of something knowing that's imperfect or that you haven't ironed out every single little thing that you could possibly think of? but it's good enough to meet the requirements of something. How do you think about that before, you know, obviously there could be multiple steps, multiple iterations, mm -hmm. but how do you think about that journey and that process of just getting to a point where you're, you, you pass a certain milestone of like delivering something yeah. before you deliver something that is perfect? Yeah. So the first thing, and it's, um, it's something I have to tell myself all the time. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good right um but the second thing is and this is where i feel like i'm the poster child for project management today i'm sorry but like um being super aware like in the scoping process of a project be super aware of those checkpoints of what will make this launch successful like what are the actual requirements in bulleted format what is needed to make this work um and while you're building it you have to be super aware of that and look at that regularly as you're building something otherwise it does get out of hand and you like you optimize like to the 19th degree um and something it's going to be incredible but now it's like a a three month long project that you're halfway through instead of just fulfilling requirements to make something work first so if you like if you see that vision and you see like you know this massive like beautiful thing that you could build, do yourself a favor and like break it out into phases, right? Like call it 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, whatever you got to do, but just get the first thing out the door and don't let like this perfect ideal image be the enemy of something that's going to help the team function better. Like if you could release it in a week versus like three months. 
you have to always like put the team first, like in their efficiency and like what's good for them first versus like what you think is best. Yeah, I, I come back to thinking about the relationship with kind of product and engineering with the advent of agile and shipping product updates in two week sprints or two week cycles. Yep. Right. Not in all shops, it again, it varies, but I would say that even deploying something in two weeks of moderate impact mm -hmm. in ops would be difficult, right? Most things are measured in like months and quarters as opposed to weeks okay. just by the nature of, and the complexity of problems. But if you were to think about things from like now to kind of step back more from a utopian, more idyllic perspective, if you could change anything about kind of how people in the space perceive ops or how other departments kind of work with ops, how would you think about that relationship? Like, what would you change? What would be like your first kind of gut reaction there? Change the way people see ops is what you're asking? Yeah. I guess like maybe just to understand that we are people pleasers, mm -hmm. a lot of us, and that if you're asking us to do something, we want to do it to like the best of our ability as quickly as possible to like make, you know, your life easier or make your life better or make you happy. Like it's, that is something that I feel like all the time. And I think sometimes like maybe, I don't, I don't know the way that ops people are perceived sometimes. I think maybe sometimes we're, we're also looked at just systems people instead of strategic people. And um, I guess that's something that I would hope could change at some point in the future too. Cause it's like, if you want to like come to me and ask me about like a specific like strategy, especially anything like if it was um, like content related, like I'm not, I'm not a copywriter obviously, but having like that overall view of like seeing like a lot of historical data on like things that convert and things that don't, I actually have something to give to the conversation because I'm the one that's like in that data and like trying to help like provide that feedback. Um, but it's not always like, it's not all, we're not always the ones that are looked at as the people with that information. So um, I guess it's just remember, you know, that we can be more strategic than you might think we are. And that to remember that we are people pleasers at heart. <laughs> yeah, and kind of like wrapping up on this point. So one thing that we talked about that I really enjoyed, which was this analogy that I'll let you kind of speak to of unpacking processes and kind of untangling some things that are interwoven. You mentioned this analogy of like Christmas lights. I would love you to kind of just expand more on what, how does that, how do the Christmas lights and that tangled kind of process relate to how you think about ops? Yeah. So I guess like, um, we, um, we might all have like some sort of, it doesn't have to be like Christmas lights necessarily, but like, what if there's like a, even like a cord in a box or something? I don't know. You know like, yarn. Yeah. yeah. Something, but it's like, it's in, it's been in a box for like a while. Right. Like, in a, but you know, Christmas lights are a good example. Holiday lights are a good example, but they've been in the box for a year or more forgotten about. Um, they work. If you like take the ball out of the box and you plug it into the wall, it will totally work. Um, but it takes someone with like the want and the patience to untangle them and make sure they're all working and like all the little bulbs are working individually. Like it's taking them out, like it's, it's untangling the lights and it's making them beautiful again. And I, I do like, 
I do love that analogy. And that's something that someone said to me, like, I didn't make that up, but that's how someone like described me to myself when I didn't know what I was going to do with myself professionally. Um, and I think about it a lot because whenever I look at how I'm approaching projects, like chances are you are just handed like a messed up spreadsheet or like someone's just like, here's this, here's this database, please do something with it. We don't know what's in here. We don't know what to, it, there's a lot of different scenarios where something can, someone can give you something that's tangled. Um, but like as ops people, I think we, we have the patience and the want to untangle those things and like make them beautiful. Um, because like, it's, it's a puzzle at the end of the day. We like puzzles. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. There's so much, so many pearls that comes to mind, right? Like when I think of a ball of holiday lights or a, a tangle of yarn, most people, unless you're a house cat, um, probably don't care about the tangled version of that, right? If you think about, I think about things from a utility or functionality standpoint, that mm -hmm. lights are meant to well light up and be decorative in some capacity. Yeah. Yarn perhaps is made to be turned into something that could be worn or appreciated or felt, but in their clump and tangled form, it's not really much of use unless you're, again, a very small population of folks mm -hmm. who see the value or the fun in the untangling. And it's only when you lay everything out, right? For the light analogy, right? It's really hard to tell where one or two lights are broken that are taking away from the process. Yeah. And same goes as for like yarn. If there's any knots in the in the yarn, it's really hard to tell that when it's all clumped together. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that from the like the process standpoint side of things? Meaning when, you know, coming back to the first point that we started started this conversation off of is when you first come in, how do you think about, you know, when you're doing these audits, how do you use this kind of almost framework of untangling lights to kind of progress things forward? Like, how do you constantly go back to this and constantly think of like, have I untangled enough? Have I untangled just one foot of lights, one foot of yarn, or have mm -hmm. I untangled the entire thing? Like, where do you know, at what point do you feel like you have a good understanding of the, of the some parts of the whole, the entire chain, and you have this vision of like, okay, I'm gonna string it up and around my house, for example. Like, how do you know when it's you've reached the end of the the lights of the yarn. Yeah, I whenever I look at like that tangled like ball of lights, I and I've been told that I'm silly for thinking this way, but I always think there are salvageable things in there. There are good things that are not just assuming like just because it's tangled doesn't mean that it's terrible. It just might need a little bit of attention and like maybe finesse, yeah, yeah. a document or two like this is how this works over here like you have to follow these steps uh, to make make this set of lights work but like it's just just assuming that like there is something good in there um and you know what you might you might be wrong depending on your perspective i do think it, it really is about perspective like you should as an ops person like you really should have a positive perspective whenever you're given like that tangled thing to untangle like don't just go buy a new thing just expect there's something like valuable in there and it's worth the time to have patience with it and to talk to the people who helped make it if they're you know if they're still at the organization especially like just don't don't assume just because it's like it's not the prettiest right now doesn't mean it's not 
working, like parts of it aren't working or like worthy of creating a new iteration of. So I guess like that's my perspective on it. That's why I come back to it is because like, um, I know, for example, like some people have told me, like, especially when it comes to like workflow related stuff, if I come in somewhere and there's a work, there's a really like complicated, um, like onboarding workflow, for example, if it's working, I'm not messing with it. I'm not recreating something just because I think I could make something better. Like that's like, a, you know, like we shouldn't have that attitude when approaching things. So it's like, that's why it's worth getting to know something that is tangled and messy because if it works, like leave it alone, build your stuff around it. Right. Like don't just like recreate things for the fun of it. Um, so that's why I think I come back to that a lot. It's just like expect that people like are smart and intelligent and they build good things. Like just because ops isn't like their full-time job doesn't mean they didn't build something incredible that you should learn and like understand. Yeah. It's, it's taking kind of the knowledge, you know, as an ops professional and kind of expanding out to different ideas, different problems, and kind of find that a lot of things are kind of related. Mm -hmm. You'll see that, oh, what, you know, if we take some inspiration from the project management side of things, from inspiration yep. from engineering, that especially in the ops, I find that there's so many parallels to all these places, which is, yep. which is just great. Again, I, I love that analogy of untangling. Uh, well, <laughs> Chris, so this has been a great conversation. Uh, to wrap up here, where can people find you if they want to talk more about untangling lights, process, or anything kind of in between? Yeah, so if you're in um, like Wizard of Ops or if you're in uh, Mo Pros, you can always hit me up on Slack. Um, I am I love just like jumping on um, calls. If you got a problem, I am someone who will get on no matter what time zone you're in. I'll get up and talk to you um, about a project you're working on. Or you can also add me on LinkedIn. And um, my name's Carissa McCall, and it's um, it, it's been fun, Sasha. I love every time we get a chance to kind of geek out about stuff. <laughs> Likewise, and thanks everybody for joining us. And that's all for today.